I don't know why I'm here, but I am. This is Albert Finney. You're dead. I know, and recently so, as well. It's been a rough time, don't you know? I was dragged away from a drinking contest with my old friend Oliver Reed. <sighs> Needless to say, I'm not in great shape. I didn't know you could get drunk when you were dead. Did you know that? Well, my, my follow-up question is, did you wrestle each other? Well, that's to come. I'm prepared. I, as you see, I've been greasing myself for the last hour. I must be ready. He's a very tough man with very to, lot of hair. To come, eh? <laughs> it's not like that. It's not allowed in heaven, you see. Strangely, it's not allowed in heaven. It's weird. Yes, and all the fun is in hell, and I'm disappointed that they sent me to heaven with all of a read of all people. I think they may have mislabeled the places is what happened. What did I do? I was a perfectly wonderful actor. Did I do anything terrible? I don't remember doing anything terrible. I mean, Big Fish was pretty good. Yeah, I, think, I thought so. Terry Gilliam, he's a good fellow. Yeah. Stout. That's that's not who made Big Fish, uh, Mr. Finney. I didn't he? No, it's Mr. Tim Burton. Tim Burton. Oh, I always confuse those two. They've got such strange hair. Yeah, both of them. Very similar. Very, very. Mm. So, is, is, what can we help you with, uh, Mr. Finney? I do. What can you help me with? I was dragged here on someone's call to say something. Alec Guinness pushed me through a portal, you see. And now here I am. He's in the podcast in his effervescent way. You know how he's like. He's mm. quite magnetic. He is. I'd like to wrestle him. Okay. Mm. But it's not allowed in heaven, you see. This is with Oliver Reed. It's a special rule. The only made it that you can wrestle Oliver Reed. I grew the day that the creator himself came up with that. But yes, okay, so I guess I'm here to say this is a show, it's a podcast. I don't know. I've, I've been dead. Things have happened since I've been dead. They invented podcasts in the last, what is it, three years? Sure. Sure. Conan O'Brien, I heard, invented them. Yeah, from scratch. Yes, yes he single-handedly. Anyways. Surprised you understand. Okay, yeah, go ahead. I always liked Conan O'Brien, don't you know? He was very tall. I appreciate a tall person. Did you ever know Peter Cushing? <laughs> He's not, very tall. Not person. Bit of an effeminate dresser, though, i He I'd did say. visit one, do- one time. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I bet you he was a real treat. He was a delight. Anyways, enough of this Billy Battery. I've, I've, this is a podcast, you're watching it, I'm Albert Finney, I endorse it, whatever I need to say to get back to this drinking contest, because I'm going to show that motherfucker, and I don't use that word lightly, you understand. I don't, don't think I've ever said that on film. No, no, yes, I did in Gosford Park, but that's a different story. Um, I have to destroy him, so I must go. Oh, I heard you watch Saturday Night and Sunday Morning, did you like that? Yes. Oh, good, good, good. I really liked that movie. I was quite young, wasn't I? You were young and dashing. Ooh, those were the days, my boy. Those were the days. But for now, I must go and tear apart Oliver Reed limb by limb and place his arsehole upon a fire where I will feed it to that other guy who was in that movie with him. What was his name? The other guy in Women in Love. What was his name? You don't even know, and you love that movie. I don't remember. Mm, Fuck you and fuck this podcast. I must go. Good day. And right back through the portal he went. Wow. Mr. Finney, uh, I'm sorry that I couldn't remember his name. Yeah, I don't remember that guy's name. He's also in the go-between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy. Yeah. I'm Brendan. I'm Jason. And uh, you're listening to another episode of Four Screen. And Gondre. And I'm going to say right off the bat, uh, my energy level is a little low today, this week. Uh, I am uh, just re- recovering from a bit of a cold. So Jason is uh, is going to be tough, but Jason's going to have to maintain his energy. I'm here to pump it up all y'all. Jason is usually a very low-key performer, so he will... I'm going to turn it up today, Brendan. You know it. Everything I'm going to say will be like a wrestling promo. Well, let me tell you something about a movie. It's got actors. It's got directors. Wah!
But enough of this Billy Mallory. Yeah. <laughs> it's a podcast. If you talk like that the entire time, we will be here for hours. Yeah, it won't end. It won't end. So what do we do, Jason? We talk about the movies on the British Film Institute Top 100 list of British film. I, I told you. Let me try again. 100. I, uh, I got this. I got this. All right. The British Film Institute uh-huh. Top 100 yep. British films yes, sir. of all British time mm-hmm. in the British year uh-huh. of 1900 and British 90, British 9. The most perfect year. The most perfect British year. The most perfect global year. Of British. Do you remember when we all came together united under the threat of Y2K? And partied like it was? That's right. Yeah. Was Prince was still with us back then. Who was? Prince. Oh. The Purple King. Oh. Yeah. And this week is no different. We are going. We are continuing on the list. We are uh, 41 movies in. And we are continuing one film at a time. Goddamn right, Jason. Because this week we're talking about a special film... Another David Lean film called Great Expectations. Ooh, yeah. But before we talk about that... We need to talk about last week's movie. Which was Saturday night and Sunday morning. Comments from listeners. Listeners like you. And you. And you. Yeah, and especially you. Listener Comments is brought to you by the Peter C. Cushing Foundation. Peter Cushing Cushing. Double Cushing. Double Cush. Double Cush. Ooh. Does that, Did you know Weed's named after him? I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say, if no one's ever said, do you want to buy this weed? I call it Peter Cushing. Then they're missing they're, out. They're missing out on, a, on a, an ex- exciting business opportunity that I offer to any of our listeners. The nerdiest weed, refer- weed name ever. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's nerdier. No, Peter Cushing is the only nerdy reference you could possibly come up with. He's certainly the pointiest. <laughs> Jason, we got a, a couple of comments. We got lots a, of comments. A, a few uh, yeah, about Saturday night and Sunday two, morning. Three, three, yeah, I three, believe. three comments. Um, but, but thank you to all three of you for watching this. Yeah, we whatever had, you did, we had more. But most people just said, you know, I, I've never, quite, I've never seen this film, and we're not going to read those comments because <laughs> we don't care. I mean, we do, we do. You should watch this. It was fun. It was good. I movie. mean, I don't know. Fun's the right word to describe it, but uh, it was a time more lighthearted than a typical k- kitchen sink drama. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Albert Finney. Come well, on. I'm going to read our first comment here, Jason. From it's, our, our, it's from uh, old pal Adam Pellman. Founding member Adam Pellman. Founding father of this podcast. That's right. Uh, he says, not my favorite of the British films from that era, but undeniably great. Finney is a revelation. I recently saw A Taste of Honey. Oh, yeah, watch that too. For the first time. And it got me thinking about how I wish more attention was paid to British films from that period that are not about angry young men. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we've watched a lot of those angry young men movies. <laughs> and we'll probably watch a lot more on this list. It's like, uh, I don't know if you saw that. Uh, and this will date this episode and, went and reveal when we recorded it. Oh, but no. there was a recent uh, episode of Saturday Night Live where she sang... Melissa Villasenor sang about all the uh, the Oscar nominees, mm-hmm. and the song was called White Male Rage, <laughs> and I feel like that applies to a lot yeah, of the movies on this list. I suppose, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's it, it's interesting, I think, yeah, more, more people should see those, just see these types of movies in general, because they give a window into a world that we, as at least I can only speak for Brendan and I as Canadian boys who grew up in the Maritimes, but it's a window into a world we don't know, like we don't exist in that world that is working class England in the 60s and, and watching all these different movies and especially Taste of Honey giving the, the kind of the female perspective has been very enlightening for me as a, as a person and a film fan. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed Taste I say that with all sincerity. I enjoyed A Taste of Honey because it was a breath of fresh air. 
it was a sweet taste of... I didn't say a breast of fresh air. You did. Okay, our next comment is from the great Tracy Walker, and Tracy says, My dad was a young man in Northern England in the early 60s, so I love these great little glimpses was her, into that life. Was her dad Walker, Texas Ranger, in Northern England? Hello, my name is Chuck Norris, and what? I'm a Walker, Texas Ranger. Some... Well, that's my title, you see. It's a Walker, Texas Ranger. <gasps> I'm some... really, I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry to all fans, fans that might be in Northern England that I butchered your accent. I... I... <laughs> I forgot for a second that it was Chuck Norris, and I was like, is he doing Clint Eastwood? <laughs> yeah. Um, Hello, I'm Clint Eastwood. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's cool. I, if I had that kind of connection to uh, to, to this movie, that that would be really interesting to see. Um, yeah, it's kind of. I've never really had that opportunity to kind of see a movie and be like, oh, that's what my parents would have been doing, basically. Yeah. The kind of world they would have lived in. Yeah, but uh, but even more so. Yeah, what? <laughs> it's like it's like a, it's what Dan Carlin says about. Well, I'm sure Dan Carlin's not the only one, but he talks about the Japanese in World War II. The Japanese were just like everyone, except more so. Fair enough. <laughs> That's some hardcore history for you. There you go, Jason. Our last final comment. From uh, His Royal Highness Rasmus Cruz. Mm-hmm. That's just a that's just a fucking awesome name. Tom's uh, cousin. Rasmus. That is awesome. Tom Cruise's cousin, Rasmus. Yeah, yeah, Rasmus Cruise. Spelled the exact same way. Exactly the same way, K-R-U-S-E. Yeah. He says... People are going to identity thief him now. Sorry, Rasmus. I I guess really, yeah, probably, because how many many Rasmus Cruises are there? Looks like you'll be calling your fraud department. All right, so I'm sorry for everything I've said and, and any trouble that this causes you, but I just want you to know your name is fucking cool. Okay. Terrific movie. Albert Finney is so good in this and quite handsome, I might add. And he is. He's very. He's, he's a dashing he's like a peak young of man. His, peak of his handsome. So I think I think I only I grabbed these three comments because I wanted to kind of show that this movie is uh, like you said, must have a, a stronger following in in England. Oh, absolutely. Across the pond, which well, it's, it's very culturally relevant. I yeah. imagine more so than it is here. But that's exactly why people here should watch it. Which I would agree. I mean. I'm not saying everybody that commented is from America, but yeah. I'm I'm saying that like you know it it's it's definitely uh, here. It's more of an obscure like oh that British film with Albert mm. Finney. Yes. I'd say like something like Tom Jones is probably more well known. Oh yeah. Well, because of the Oscars. Yes. Um, so that's it for that movie. We we are going to do one final thing though before we move on, Jason. Before we talk about great expectations, mm. we are going to talk about the number 14 movie on the AFI list, and we're going to do a whole 90 minutes on it right now. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're going to compare the, the, this movie, because this movie was number 14 on the BFI, pretty high very up. Very high. Very, again, culturally relevant, I imagine. Number 14 on the American Film Institute is a very culturally relevant movie in this on this continent, mm-hmm. and it's called Psycho. Ah. I think if we're talking about you know, kind of a legendary status movie, I think I have to give the edge to Psycho. I don't, sure. I don't think there's a way around that. But unfortunately for Psycho... No, don't you dare. Saturday night and Sunday morning wins because no. I've never actually watched Psycho. No! I've seen other uh, Hitchcock movies, but for some reason Psycho was never one of them. I'm, I've seen enough scenes from it over the years, I feel like I've seen it. it, it there's there's a, a scene in the shower, let me tell you all about it. <laughs> I saw that. That's real cool. It's real mm-hmm. hot. And then Vince Vaughn's in it, right? And uh, oh, Anne Hayes. You're fired. It's in glorious G- color. Goodbye. <laughs> I am soloing this podcast from this point forward. Anything to add? I'm just opposed to movies where women get killed. But you watched the remake and had no problem. 
Oh yeah, no, that was great. You're was like, a... I expect you to be like, Anne Hatch is no woman. <laughs> <laughs> Strong political stance from Jason. Um, so yeah, that's uh, those, those are some comments. Uh, there you go. Jason has not seen Psycho. I've seen I... Lifeboat, and that's fucking great. You've seen Lifeboat, but I've you have not Lifeboat, seen Psycho. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Jesus Christ. Uh, we're now we're gonna move on. We're gonna talk about great expectations. Don't expect much. You'll note there, Brendan, the camera operator, Nigel Cuke. I may have misremembered that name. Nigel Cuke? I don't think it was Cuke. It may have been Nigel Luke, Nigel Took. It was, it was an ook. It was definitely an ook. I was trying to remember somebody's name from the credits. Because as you, as you folks know, we've watched a lot of movies where all the credits air in like the first five minutes of the movie. We yeah. see them all up front. They, they air, like they on air. television. Yeah, no, they well, they air. I have it broadcast from my computer yeah. to my television, so oh. technically I'm correct. Okay. Thank you. And I also want to thank someone that we haven't thanked enough on this show, Jason. Who? David Lean? Daniel Barulia, because he's the one who gave us the name of the podcast for Screen and Country. Daniel, you are a champ. Throw out another thank you to Daniel if he's listening. We love our name. It fits so well. Thank you so much. We love our name. We do. So then we're talking about Great Expectations. It's number five. Wait, so was there another reason you brought up Daniel? No, just to say thanks. Oh, okay. Well, thanks again, Daniel. Uh, uh, we have great expectations for you in the future. <laughs> what does that even mean? Well, we'll see. You all right. Wait. All right. All right. Jason just into this. Great Expectations is number five on the BFI Top 100. It is this the... No, because we've done Lawrence. That yeah. was number three. Almost the highest. It's it's uh, it's no. It's not even the highest. David Lee because Lawrence is number three. Yep. Moving on, <laughs> I believe, or number four. Moving on. Is it, it, it's not the highest black and white because that's Third Man. Starring <laughs> this movie stars John Mills. Definitely the highest movie starring John Mills. There we go. That I think he might be in Lawrence. He <laughs> didn't star in it though. Uh, John Mills plays Pip as an adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, Valerie Hobson plays Estella as an adult. Mm. Gene Simmons, yes, once sir. again, this is actually our last movie on the list with her, uh, Jason. She plays Estella as a child. And I may be wrong, uh, but based on my you, brief uh, uh, my brief uh, kind of scouring through the cast of this movie, she was the last one to die. I believe she just passed away like 10 years ago? It wasn't, no, it was even, yeah, yeah, probably, like yeah, you're right, 2010, I so. yeah, I think yeah. you're right. 2010 doesn't seem like 10 years no, ago, does no. it? Uh, also, uh, Anthony Wager plays Pip as a boy. Martita Hunt plays Miss Havisham. Mm. Our old friend Alec Guinness is in this as Herbert Pocket. Very great, young Alec What a great Guinness. name, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I believe he's like 31 when this movie comes oh, out. Oh, Herbie Pox. Uh, Finley Curry is Abel Magwitch. Uh, Francis L. Sullivan is Mr. Jaggers, the lawyer. Mm. Bernard Miles is Joe, Joe Gargery. And Ivor Barnard is Mr. Wemmick. 
Now, right out of the gate, I have to point something out. So I did the math. John Mills was born in 1908. Mm-hmm. What are you trying to say? This movie was made in 1946. Uh-huh. He so he was a, a 21-year-old man, is yes, what you're he saying. Yes, he was a 28-year-old man playing a 21-year-old man. And now, because now, when, when I first see I, the transition... I waited to see the issue here. Now, I, I can understand it, though, Brendan, because when I first saw the transition, because if you remember, he's like, he's like 14, yeah. and he's a little boy... And he becomes an apprentice as a blacksmith. And then when we see him at 20, he's very hard looking. So I can understand that in six years of being a hardcore blacksmith's apprentice, yeah, it would probably age you pretty quick. Mm. Being around all that heat. As a, as a person whose father is an actual blacksmith, I can tell you. Jason, how old are you? <laughs> yes, my, my my dad worked during the Civil War. Oh, wow. So he had look, you. I tell you, that's the thing, is that being a blacksmith has actually preserved him. He's still alive. He's looking great. So Got he, a couple new hips. He had you when he was about 95. Absolutely. Yeah, he's, like I say, he's in real good shape. Ripe old age of 136. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, this is, a, this is a big one. This is a huge movie on this list. Mm-hmm. Great expectations. Um, I think if anyone had to point to the definitive adaptation of this Dickens novel, I mean, I think this is the one people point to. I David, mean, you're wrong. They, Go on. They would point to that episode of South Park with Malcolm McDowell. Well, we'll get to that later. Yeah. I have a little thing of that later. Okay. But, uh, no, but I think it, movie-wise, yes. adaptation-wise, this is the one. This oh, is yeah. the David Lean. This is a David Lean classic. Everybody, mm-hmm. I mean, not everybody. Does everybody know it? I think people know it. I think if they've heard of this story, they're probably familiar with it. Associate this one with yeah, it. Yeah, if, if you know the book, chances are you know this movie. This is an early Lean film. This is pre-Bridge. This mm-hmm. is pre-Lawrence. This, this is, is pre-Chicago. Pre-Color. Uh, Pre-widescreen. I mean, Wizard of Oz had color before this. Yeah, I know. But I mean, in his oeuvre, I think. I don't know that he's done color before this. In his oeuvre. Yeah. yeah. That's how you pronounce it, Jason. Come on. Excuse me, Mr. French, pa- Mr. French Pants. Oeuvre. That's how you do it. Okay. I got you. I'll, I'll remember that. So it is... John Merrick? Hey. Uh, so Great Expectations it is uh, of course based on the Dickens novel the Charles Dickens novel of mm. the same name and let me tell you because of that I had great expectations mm-hmm. about this movie well why don't you tell us a little bit about do uh, you have a little bit about the book maybe on like how what kind of if anything changed a lot okay so we know the basic plot of this movie Pip he's a boy he's uh, that's it living with a bunch of he's li- okay so yeah alright so yes Pip He's living with his sister, who's kind of an ogre, and uh, her lovely husband, Joe, and he gets sent to hang out with this old lady and her daughter, and they're both terrible people, and uh, uh, so he's emotionally abused by them for a while, and then eventually he wants to become a gentleman, but let's remember, too, he also saved the life of a criminal uh, by giving him some food and some brandy. At the beginning of the film, yeah. beginning of the movie, which I kind of forgot about and then was surprised when it came back later. Um, and the whole thrust of this thing is that he wants to become a gentleman, and when he becomes of age, he's given a mysterious endowment to allow that to happen of money, and so he goes to London, but doesn't know who the person is endowing him, and then he... He believes to, it's Miss Havisham. He believes it's Miss Havisham, uh, but clearly he doesn't realize how much of a terrible person she is. Yeah. And so he eventually finds out that it is uh, because of the convict that he saved, who had been shipped off to, sh- shipped off to Australia... Mm-hmm. Where all convicts go. Where all convicts go. Uh, but managed to make a, make something of himself and make some money there and, and gain his freedom. He just wasn't allowed to return to England, although he does later in the movie. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's about Pip's journey to become a gentleman as well as his, his uh, falling in love with Estella. I was going to say, his, de- his, his unrequited love with Estella. Yeah, absolutely. For at least a great, a great majority of the film. And uh, as usual, I didn't have time to read the entire novel. God damn it, Jason. So I read a summary. Okay. 
And the biggest difference I can find, and this is quite interesting. Is that the actors didn't show up in the book? Okay, yeah. Uh, among the two differences I found was that the actors didn't show up for the book. Weird. And uh, that, that there's... Okay, so there's one major subplot that is cut out of the out of the book, and it involves Joe's assistant, his apprentice, named uh, Orlick. Okay. Yeah. So Orlick works there, and Orlick is, I guess, jealous of Pip, because Pip is going to go off and be a gentleman, and Orlick's stuck there being a, um, you know, an apprentice. He's so, just this other guy? Yeah, he, hmm. he's there. So he ends up attacking uh, uh, Mrs. Joe, uh, Pip's sister, okay. and, like, like attacking her really brutally and leaving her brain damaged. Now, wow. Now... The brain damage, if nothing else, turns her kind of nice. So she's kind of pleasant to be around. That's kind of a strange message. Yeah, uh, but that's not where it ends. Um, where is it here? Uh, if you, if you, somebody's being a real pain, just give them brain damage and they'll be real great. Is that your, is that your, would that be oh, your okay. manifesto? Oh, so, okay, so yeah, so the, Mrs. Jones is attacked by the assistant, brain damage. Uh, dude with the scar... I don't know that we uh, like the 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 other convict. The, the other one, the okay. other convict. Yeah. yeah. In the book, I don't think this is said in the movie. In the book, he's actually the guy that destroyed Miss Havisham's life. Okay. He's the guy that abandoned her at the altar and left her in that state. Yeah, they definitely don't. Yeah, they don't go into that. No. Uh, so, and then at some point, Pip is captured by Orlick, and he's rescued by by Pocket and another character named Startop that I'm not sure is in the movie. Sounds like a that sounds like a Kiss uh, member of the band. It does, Kiss. yeah. And, and he's rescued just as Orlick is about to smash Pip's head in with a hammer. Jesus. Um, and uh, so after after all after all this shit goes down, Pip heads to Egypt with his buddy Pocket because Pocket is there on a job that Miss Havisham had paid for. Um, and yeah, so and and at some point, uh, I forget exactly why, but well, I mean probably because of the brain damage, Mrs. Joe does die. Mm-hmm. And so. At some point, Pip returns home to propose marriage to Biddy because, you know, Biddy was the woman that came in in the movie and was basically Joe's wife. She kind of came in after after um, Mrs. Joe had died. Right. I See, she's <laughs> in the movie, but like I she, totally she's glossed not there. over She basically yeah. seems like she's a woman showing up to uh, like help out with the house and then eventually Joe marries her. Yeah, yeah. She's kind of very minor character. In the book, she's a schoolmate of Pip's and he returns at some point to propose marriage to her but finds that Joe's already married her. Okay. <laughs> So it's actually quite similar. Uh, I mean, that is. Ways. I mean, that part though, that is a huge thing that is cut out of this uh, this movie. That he goes to Egypt. Yeah. I mean, basically, well, I mean, all the last stuff you said in the last five minutes. Or yeah, so. yeah. I mean, but but the Egypt thing, like, I can see why they got rid of it because it really wouldn't have added anything. Is to that what where trying he? To do. Is that where he meets T. E. Lawrence? Yes, and then they go on. An so this together. is a prequel, right? Yeah, T. E. Lawrence would probably be a small child. Okay, uh, I would have to assume. Is he Pip? He may very well be. <gasps> he may be Pip. Da, 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 da. Or he may be Lawrence. Could we just da, 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 fake da. Peter O'Toole into this movie and see how it works? But no matter who he's playing, he's in the desert. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, you mentioned. Okay, so you mentioned that, that was cut out of the movie. Um, and then, like this script for the movie was actually based on a slimmed down version of the novel in the first place because it was based on an abridged stage version of the novel that David Lean saw in 1939. Mm-hmm. And actually, in 1939, Alec Guinness was playing Herbert Pocket on stage. Did Alec Guinness not write that an adaptation? He did. Possibly. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And uh, Martita Hunt was Miss Havisham in the stage version, also in this movie mm-hmm. as Miss Havisham. The script for this film was written by five people. <laughs> and it, Jason, I'm going to tell you this. In 2020, 
or even the last 10, 15, 20 years. Oh, yeah. You see five people on a script, it is time to run away. Well, I mean, in, but chances are that through the process, even if you only see two names on a script, chances are it's passed through the hands of multiple people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if you see five names on screen, yeah, you wonder what's going on. So it's written by David Lean, Anthony Havelock Allen, Cecil McGivern, Ronald Neem, and Kay Walsh. Uh, David Lean originally approached a playwright. I didn't know. I, I apologize. I don't know who this is. Maybe you have a better idea, but a playwright named Clements Dane. Mm-hmm. Any idea? I know nothing about her. I saw her name in the article. Okay. Well, he approached her to write the script, but in typical David Lean fashion, she wrote it and he said it was so awful. It was hideously embarrassing. <laughs> okay. Uh, so he, uh, he decided that he and Ronald Neem should write the script or write their own versions. And then when David Lean went to go work on a movie called Brief Encounter, which mm-hmm. we'll eventually do as well. This is on the list. I think it's even higher than this. I think it's like yeah. number two. <laughs> uh, uh, Neem worked on the script with uh, Havelock Allen and later with Cecil McGivern. And then Kay Walsh was another writer who came in and actually wrote the ending of the mm-hmm. film. So five writers on this thing. Uh, it's, a, it's a real gone with the wind situation. Damn. Turned out pretty good though. It did, but I'm going to tell you this, Jason. David Lean wasn't the best with his actors. No. Well, certain actors. I think if you were... Because I, I know Alec Guinness really was a fan. This was the high point of their relationship. Because yeah. I think Alec Guinness later on... We talked about Bridge on the River Kwai, about him not liking the direction of the character. Mm. Talked about Lawrence of Arabia, of Guinness barely speaking to him on set. <laughs> and the Passage to India, I'm assuming at every given moment they were uh, chucking knives at each other. However, as I saw in your book, there is photographic evidence of them sitting together. Yeah. I have a David Lean book. That's how serious this guy is. That's right. But Alec Guinness, at this point of his career, because this is very early Alec Guinness, this is like one of his first roles. He's so very young in this movie, I almost didn't recognize him at first. So very young, but still looks old. Until I heard that part of his voice in the back of it. But he's younger, so it's higher, and you can't quite hear it as well. That's right. He has very stringy hair. He sounds like he's on helium. Um, he actually kind of really liked the way Lean directed him because he said when one shot, for example, he has to do a close up and he had to like laugh out loud, like a big boisterous laugh. And, and Al Guinness was like, how do I make this look un, like not phony? Like it just looks so manufactured. And I could just picture Alec Guinness being like, ha 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 ha. Yeah. Um, he, uh, so apparently what David Lean did was he told him, he said, you know what? Just forget about it. Let's not even bother getting the shot. It's not going to make sense. So he sat by Al Guinness' side and he made a little signal to the camera, just kind of like action. Like he told him before, he was just going to do a little tiny signal. Al Guinness had no idea. Mm. Um, and then he said something that made Alec laugh, like legitimately belly, big belly laugh. And then as soon as he was done, David Lean goes, cut, we got it. <laughs> so, but Al Guinness was like, so he got a shot on this totally false premise, mm-hmm. but He's like, but by God, I don't think I would have achieved it otherwise. So kudos to him. Yeah, you got to give a guy credit for for knowing what he wants that specifically to be able to get it whatever way he needs to get it. And then the opposite Mm. viewpoint (laughs) is uh, Valerie Hobson. Again, it's of the time, but I feel like David Lean did not have a good relationship with his actresses. Based on the things we've seen so far and talked about with various actresses, yeah, it seems like he wasn't real hot on women. The things that he kind of let Rod Steiger get away with Mm. instead of Zhivago. Yeah, really. But uh, Valerie Hobson, who plays the older Estella, basically doesn't get real specific, but she says the experience of working with Lean on the movie was one of the most unhappy experiences she ever had making a film. And she said he's a very cold director and he gave me nothing as an actress to work with. That's unfortunate, because it seems like he knows how to get what he wants. But you can't always get what you want. Famous David Lean quote. But if you're David Lean, you just might glean... The shot get that you need. Oh. <laughs> hey, Mick, don't sue us. 
Oh, it's Keith. Well, it's it's Bob not, Dylan? It's not Nick at all. It's Keith. <laughs> and Bob Dylan mixed together. Sylvester Stallone in there, too, I think. Hey, guys, what are you doing over here? <laughs> you guys doing a podcast? <laughs> That sounds more like Frank Stallone. Hey, you, uh, hey, stop him, I'm gonna shoot him, alright? <laughs> I like that movie, Frank. Anyway, I gotta go. Uh, I saw that freaking album Finney over there, Jetpack. <laughs> wow, just... I'll drink you under the table, Stallone. Oh, let's go over the top. I guess they're gonna arm wrestle. Sweet. That's gonna be a sight to see. We gotta get through this quick. Obviously, yeah, the arm wrestle. Back in the movie. <laughs> no, we're gonna take our goddamn time, Jason. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to say too, when I when we first rolled this and we got great expectations, you know, 1946, David Lean. I thought, okay, this is like 11 years for a Bridge on the River Kwai. It seems like a smaller scale movie, mm. but man, it has David Lean written all over. It. Oh yeah, like he's... had I not known and that it was a movie on this list, I probably would have guessed that it was David yeah. Lean right from the opening. Yeah, he's got some pretty epic stuff in here. The opening, just like wide landscape shot. And he does that thing where he puts tree branches and stuff in the foreground Mm -hmm. to make it seem like... Like you're spying? Yeah, or spying or like it makes... Because of the detail he puts right in front Mm -hmm. of the camera, it makes everything else seem more vast. Yeah, and you you that uh, nice scene in the beginning where he's like... Where you can see young Pip running along the road in the distance and you can see... I don't know if it's supposed to be gallows or, or, or like poles of some sort i can't imagine they're electrical poles at this point but yeah well yeah, and there's running by them and it looks really cool yeah and there's a lot of like wind and fog and stuff mm-hmm. and actually i just want to play a little bit of this opening scene because this is where we have basically we have pip meeting this convict who is very aggressive and scary this actually made me jump i'm not mm-hmm. gonna lie when i first watched this on like you know yesterday yeah um when that convict pops up out of nowhere and pip screams i jumped out of my seat oh Uh, So I'm just going to play this little moment. Just listen to the sound design, too, in the background. Keep still, you little devil, or I'll cut your throat. No, sir, no. Tell us your name. Quick. Pip. Pip, sir. Sir. Show us where you live. Point out the place. There, sir. There. Where's your mother? There, sir. No, sir. There, sir. Also Georgiana. That's my mother. Ah. And is that your father along with your mother? Yes, sir. Him too. Late of this parish. Ah. Then who do you live with? Supposing you're kindly let to live, which I ain't made up my mind about yet. With my sister, sir. Mrs. Joe Gardry. Wife of Joe Gardry the blacksmith. Blacksmith, eh? Now look at here. Do you know what a pile is? Yes, sir. Do you know what whittles is? Yes, sir. Food, sir. Then you get me a fire and you get me whittles or I'll have your heart and liver out. If you'll kindly let me keep upright, sir, perhaps I shouldn't be sick and perhaps I could attend more. Now you bring that fire and them whittles to me in this churchyard tomorrow morning early. Yes, sir. And never dare to say a word of having seen such a person as me. No, sir. If you do, your heart and liver will be tore out and roasted and et. There's a young man hid with me, and in comparison with him, I'm an angel. 
I like how too how he does that thing where he's like, if you think I'm bad, I've got a partner and he's worse. And don't worry about where he is. Yeah, exactly. You'd be afraid of him. I, <clears throat> I also uh, <laughs> laughed at the cartoonish Homer Simpson style strangling he does to the kid. Oh, right when he and, and when he turns him upside down. And then he does down, yeah, too. full on cartoon flip him upside down and shake the shit out of his pockets. Also, like I was talking, I was talking to you there during that clip, but the, the sound of the winds and the wind, mm-hmm. the sound of the wind and stuff during that clip, and like you know the fog and stuff, reminded me a lot of Hamlet. Yeah, like really, Olivier's Hamlet, like when they're on the cliffs and stuff, really establishing that sense of place. Yeah, especially when he sees like the ghost, mm. and this would have been pre-Hamlet by a few yes. years. So I don't. So know. I have to assume Hamlet stole it from this movie. I have to assume Lawrence Olivier attempted to send a check to David Lean, and Mr. Lean was like, "No, no, it's I fine. don't need your I don't money." Need your money. Watch your dirty money. Tell this to Spielberg to stop leaving me notes. <laughs> Even but though I, he's, but I just like the movie so much. I don't know why my Steven Spielberg is Woody Allen, but <laughs> oh god, here I am. It's now I, and now I feel bad that Steven Spielberg has been painted with this brush. Oh, and here I am. I I was I was I was there. I was directing Jurassic Park while my thirteen-year-old girlfriend was on the phone. <laughs> I, I didn't know what to do. Was it consensual? I don't know. I was busy making dinosaurs. Let's 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 not even pretend to slander Mr. Spielberg. He's a lovely man. Uh, sure, yeah, I'm sure he is. Yeah, he seems like a nice or guy. Anything to the contrary. I, I, and it, it, at least he hasn't done some of the things that Woody Allen may or may not have done. I I highly doubt it. <laughs> Except for making movies. Wait, you highly doubt that Spielberg didn't do those things too? You're going to slander this man right out of the gate. We're going to get sued. We can't have that. Jason, I know things. Hollywood secrets. So other things in the cinematography that I really like, uh, the idea of... Uh, so Pip goes and gets this stuff for the for the criminal, the convict. And as he's going towards the convict, his conscience is definitely bothering him, like that he's getting things for this criminal. And he's actually... Uh, as he's looking at, like, cows and stuff, he hears them as if they're talking to him, mm. telling him, like, what are you doing, boy? You're a thief. Yeah, and that's one of the things that really resonated with me with this movie is that there was a, a little bit of, like, inner monologue, yeah. but it was very much a voice of anxiety in this kid's head, like, yeah, yeah. like when he's older, too, but, like, really just, like, saying the negative things and running through conversations that won't happen like like i relate to that myself i've done that plenty in my own life and it really drives it home and it seems really ahead of its time actually a little bit uh in that way like i don't know that people were talking about anxiety as a thing in 1946 but they sure had the idea of what it was clearly i believe anyone with anxiety was just had rocks thrown at their head yeah just stop it just calm down with these rocks (laughs) these rocks will calm you for a while (laughs) you'll be calm with holes in your body that's right um, and the other thing too with Pip is like, I mean, you really feel like you're with him the entire way mm. uh, from, you know, child to adult, from child to 21 year old man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> even though he looks 38. Yes. <laughs> this but, is, you know, in, in the book and, and we see this through the narration, this is a story of a man looking back at his life, although eventually catching up to it. Yeah. And, and seeing the mistakes he's made and, and commenting a little bit on them, like when he sees, when, when Joe comes to see him in London. And he's like, I'd become a snob and I would have paid money to not have to talk to Joe at that point. And and all Joe wants to do is see him because, you know, he raised this kid basically. But Joe also, Joe also has that he has the moment message. of like, I don't feel like I should even be talking to you right now. Yeah, exactly. He's he's seeing the class distinction now because yeah. because, uh, because Pip is up-jumped, essentially. Mm. He's, you know, trying to live as a gentleman. And, and gentlemen generally don't associate with uh, the peasants. Which, unless they're ordering them to go farm a land or something. Exactly. Yeah. Jason, go farm me a land. Aye, sir. Absolutely. Thank you. Get you some grain and some coal. 
So what I was going to say about Pip in regards to the cinematography, though, is like right after he gives the food to that convict, he's sitting at the table. Yes. And they're all like the all the, like the sister and mm. the sister's husband and like a couple of other guests are all around the table and they're much higher up than him. Yeah. And you only see from like behind. Yeah. Him. So, like, you see his back and everybody just towering over, just looking at you almost. Yeah. And it's just like you feel his, like, uncom- like discomfort. Yes, the the, the, the cinematography of it uh, combined with the fact that they're all fucking assholes. They're all just the worst. The guy yeah. says, oh, you should be happy to be sitting with your elders and betters. <laughs> you piece of shit. Fuck you. Fuck you, you fuck. Fuck him and fuck everybody in this movie. I mean, some of them. Yeah, most, most of them. That's basically what happens. Yeah. There's also little other other little things that I really like. Like there's a scene where uh, Pip is looking outside and there's like a mass hanging going on. Yeah, that was fucking, that was rough. <laughs> yeah. So you see it, you see him look away and then you hear it. Yeah. And it's like, that's, that's more effective than anything you could show. And I need to look into this because later in the movie, uh, when we get to the point where, um, well, eventually, okay, well, it's revealed that the, the convict, uh, Abel, is uh, his benefactor, right? And he's paying right. for him to be a gentleman. And eventually yeah. he gets caught again by the law after the chase that ends with a boat hitting their boat and Scar Guy dying in the water. Um, he's taken to court and he's sentenced to death. Uh, and you know he's sentenced to death because we watched the judge put the little fl- black flap on his hat on his head and then say, like, may God have mercy on you. But when the camera pulls back, I'm expecting to see him sitting in the prisoner's dock and being sentenced to death. But no, it's like 15 people. 15 poor people are all lined up and they're all simultaneously being sentenced to death. Yeah. Like, like was I got to look into the history of that, like mass death sentencings in Victorian England. Like, that's crazy. Listen. And I'm sure it was the crime of being poor. Yeah, I mean, how dare you? How dare you? Um, and then and then other things that I really liked, uh, other things is like the, um, there was one scene that I feel like he kept for Bridge on the River Kwai. Mm. And I'm wondering if you felt the same way. So there's a scene later on. We're jumping all over the place, but yeah. I mean, whatever. That's what scene, we do. That's what we do now. Uh, there's a scene later on where Alec Guinness, you know, Herbert Pocket, mm. and uh, and Pip and Magwitch, they're basically trying to get him to safety because he's wanted now. Yeah. By, they find out that he's wanted by the police. Yeah, because he came back to England and he shouldn't have. So they're trying to smuggle him aboard a packet boat. And when they're going underneath, like on that little boat, slowly, and they're rowing and everything, did that not remind you of that scene in Bridge on the River Kwai when the they're commandos? trying to plant the bomb on yeah. the on the bridge? Being real quiet, being real slow. Yeah. yeah, it was almost shot the same way too. I didn't even think of that watching it, but now that you mention it, yeah, I can see that totally. Yeah, I, f- I feel like he uh, kept that for uh, for that movie, or he just really likes filming scenes of boats silently cutting through the water. Perhaps it was very. I mean, it it. Rang very familiar when I saw mm. that, and I was like, "Man, that why my why does that <laughs> why does that look so like I've seen something like that before?" Um, and then the other thing that I uh, that I wanted to mention is uh, when Pip gets sick late in the movie. Mm. That visual of him just like descending into... that was total samo cam that was like in uh, in the evil dead movies uh, where they would take a, a camera and basically stick it on a board and then they would smash it through the window of the car so it looked like yeah. the thing was going through like that was what that reminded me like this first person and then you add in like kind of the stuff around the sides where it's starting to look like he's passing out and then yeah that was really cool again head of its time i think for the era yeah and that's the truth um 
So let's talk about the one of the major characters, though, mm. uh, because this movie is a love story yes. above all else. It's a yeah. cl- uh, class class conflict and a love story. Yes, because he is basically so we we have Miss Havisham, mm. and she is this lady. She is a broken down woman. Oh. She has cobwebs all over her house. Which, by the way, the design of that house is fantastic. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it looks like rubble she is the like stereotype of an old spinster and, and not just a woman who is unmarried and just living alone but but the one who's been so obsessed with it because you know because women you know all they want to do is get married right <laughs> and so she had the chance to get married and she got stood up at the altar and so which we learned later which we learned later yeah um but now she lives in this dilapidated house that still has the fucking wedding cake sitting on the table which is probably disgusting settings, disgusting and just covered in cobwebs and everything probably yeah dries a bone but yeah, she's, and she's resolved to never see the light of day again. So she sits in this dark house with these big ta- tapestries over the windows and just yeah. sits in the dark stewing and being mean. Not only was she stood up at the altar, mm. um, but she, you know, she, has, she was so broken by this that she has basically adopted this girl named mm. Estella. It's not her daughter, no. which we find out later. It's Magwitch's daughter, mm. the uh, convict, yes. um, who he had to give up, I guess, to because he didn't couldn't provide for her. And I saw that and thought to myself, what is this, Star Wars? <laughs> it's Palpatine all over again. <laughs> um, but he, uh, yeah, he could provide for her. And so she's gotten this little girl, Estella, played by the lovely Gene Simmons, mm-hmm. who in this movie is quite young. I think she's like around 14 or and something. And she's fantastic. She's really good, yeah. Um, very good child performance. I, I actually like her her performance better than the uh, older ladies. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, we can also... Take Valerie Hobson's word for it that yeah. David Lean gave her shit. Yeah, exactly. All. So I'm no, I don't blame her. I just say uh, Gene Simmons was like just so electrifying in this yeah. role. Yeah, I mean she's great. Um, but she, uh, yeah, she gets Estella to basically break men's hearts for her. So she, uh, she's she's mean. She did she because she got stood up. She now dislikes all men, and yeah. she is training her adopted daughter to also be a bitch. She's and like the one, female version of an incel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And because and when he first shows up, she's like, "Oh, play cards with him," and she's like, "I don't want to play cards with this peasant labor boy." And well, why don't we listen to that? Do we have that scene. Yeah, we do have. Let's that play scene. that scene. Okay. Look at me. You're not afraid of a woman who has never seen the sun since you were born. No. Do you know what I touch? Here? Your heart. Broken. I sometimes have sick fancies. And I have a fancy I should like to see someone play. 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 Estella, come here. Your own, one day, my dear. And you will use it well. Let me see you play cards with this boy. With this boy? But he is a common labouring boy. And look at his boots. Well, you can break his heart. 
Yeah, so she's basically taken this taken this young girl yeah. and molded her into like a little Havisham. Just the worst. Just fucking yeah. turning her into an evil fucking person. And you feel bad for Estella. I yeah. think to Gene Simmons' credit, she could play this girl as a like an awful, just awful child. Yeah, as a and complete psycho. Like she kind of is, but at the same time, you see her humanity poking every now and then. Yeah. At the times where she says, "Like you can give me a kiss if you want," yeah. or like you know, some days uh, Pip mentions that Estella treats her treats him better than others. And I want to ask you, Jason. Yeah. Why do you think he falls in love with this girl? Because he is an emotional masochist. Okay. And he's suffered nothing but abuse his entire life, and it's the only love he knows. And that's the norm. And that's the norm. Yeah. But what about her? Like makes. Well, she's very pretty. She is one. very pretty. I mean, he does mention that. He does mention that a lot. Yeah. Uh, uh, she probably seems a bit exotic to him because she's of a different class. Probably is part of, I mean, one has to assume it's part of the impetus that he wants to become a gentleman so he can be of a proper station to go about marrying her. And yeah, he doesn't babies. appear to be, he doesn't appear to be, to enjoy living in, uh, I wouldn't say squalor. Because, hmm. I mean, his, his uh, sister and her husband, uh, Joe, I mean, they don't seem to be, like, really poor. Like, they have food and they have people of, like, high importance over at the house. But, but, it's, but it's, you know, it's a tough peasant life. Like, it's you know, being a blacksmith is not an easy job. It's a tough peasant life for us. Yes. No, and, and absolutely, I think How he does desire you? that gentleman's life. But I think I think primary behind it is the desire uh, from then on out to be able to obtain Estella or somebody like her. But really her. Yeah, because she knows how to how to make him hurt in the right way. Yeah, it's a weird. It's almost like a like it's like a masochistic. This whole fucking movie is about emotional. It, 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 this whole fucking movie, Brendan, is about the emotional roller coaster of life that Pip has, and uh, and being fucked over by people he loves, and then becoming kind of a snob himself. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's the, all but the emotional manipulation of Pip. You could have called the the movie that. Yeah, except for Joe. Joe's the one like like well, I guess Biddy too, but Joe is the one like like. I would guy argue. Is, I would argue Magwitch is okay eventually. He is. He is, but he's still he's still a criminal. Yeah, I mean, Wimmick. Would, would you say person. would you say Wimmick? I think Herbert Pocket is pretty. Wim, good. Wimmick, I like because Wimmick calls his dad Age Aged P. Which is the best thing he teaches. He, he says, you mind, you mind, uh, there's an agent parent here? And he's like, okay. And he's like, oh, hello, Agent P. And I thought, that's like, that's way, that's like a rapper name. It's like, that's what a rapper would call his dad. Oh, yo, it's Agent P. My dad, Agent P. I don't even remember that scene. Yeah, he's like, and then he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you work with my son. Um, like, but... I mean, I would argue. I would argue a couple, few other characters. Let's say, yeah, not, say, I mean, I'm, I'm being, I'm being facetious. Alec, everybody in this movie's Alec Guinness as Herbert Pocket. Yeah, Herb seems like a good guy. Um, and and okay, so, so we should mention. So after he's, um, I mean, we're kind of going all over the place, but anyway, when he's there with Havisham and Estella, you know, he's kind of getting emotionally beaten down. Yeah. Um, and then eventually, you know, he becomes a blacksmith or whatever. And goes to his trade, and then that's when the benefactor thing comes in. And the benefactor, when the benefactor is uh, revealed, there's a it's a very somber moment when uh, you really get the extent. Joe is the nicest person in the whole movie for sure, because you get this moment where Joe is like, you know, he's training him to be an apprentice, mm. and the lawyer, Mr. Jaggers, who I love, I yes, love that, that performance. Great. He's yes. so good. But he, because uh, I love his like non-committed way to answer things, his lawyerly way, where he's Very like, lawyerly. "Suppose, but put the case to you." Like even when he <laughs> say he mentions uh, what Havisham is doing, yeah. he says something about like how the girl is not his and and uh, the girl's not hers, like mm-hmm. it's not her daughter. And Pip says, "Oh, like Estella," and he's like, "I said nothing of the sort. I said the little girl." Yeah, and he's like, "Oh yes, of course, the little girl." 
but they both know what he's talking about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, um, I also appreciate him because he says at one point to Pip, he's like, you have to look at the evidence. Don't think about anything else. Think about the evidence in front of you. Like, yeah. Which, which is a great sentiment, number one. But also, it's yeah, it's smart for Pip to know that, to like pay attention to what you actually see or, or what is actually there as opposed to what you think or desire. Right. But when he goes, so when he goes to meet with Mr. Jaggers, he find, so what I was going to say about Joe is uh, yeah. when Jaggers is revealing like, oh, you know, you have this benefactor who's going to, uh, who wants to make you a gentleman. And he thinks obviously it's Havisham, right? Mm. And at the same time, there's such kind of like heartbreaking moment because Joe, yeah. uh, he offers Joe money to take him away from the blacksmith yeah. trade. And Joe was like, oh, well, I'm not going to take money just to let Pip pursue what he wants yeah, to pursue. I'm not going to stand in his way, but like, also you can tell he is sad about it. That's like one of the most pure, genuine moments in mm-hmm. the movie. Like he doesn't even accept, like he's willing to give this man money yeah. for taking Pip yeah. from the blacksmith trade. And he's like, no. He's like, I couldn't do that. That's not what it's about. It's about, it, I mean, Joe's again, very forward thinking person who's like, no, I want him to be able to do what he wants to do. I'm not going to sit here and make, give me money. Like, come on. But, He's sad, but that you know he was also probably looking forward to teaching Pip how to be a blacksmith. Like mm-hmm. you know, I, I think any teacher desires to pass their uh, knowledge on, and especially to someone of, of what is essentially his family. Um, um, so yeah, that, that's a very sad moment for him. But he also you know he loves Pip clearly and wants yeah. him to ha- be happy. Yeah, Joe has, is like yeah again. I, I think he's one of the more genuine characters he is. in he's, any movie we've talked about. Now remember how we mentioned earlier that it's clear David Lean doesn't like women very much. Well, I think it's pretty evident in the characters in this movie. Now, I don't know if this is Dickens. I mean, I've this is, book, I mean, so. yeah, I think it's, I think a lot of it's in the Dickens novel. But, but. like, I don't know if, and I mean, Dickens certainly has his fair share of, of characters like that, but like, just, the sister seems like such an ogre. It's like such a mean dictator of a woman. Oh, she's awful. And there's no, like, she's a very one note character. And that's kind of what they, they seem to bond over is yeah. both being under her thumb. Under her thumb. Yeah. Yeah. So, I like Joe. Joe's a good man. Joe is a good man. Um, I do want to play a scene here. Uh, so let's we got to talk about Al Guinness in this movie because yes, he plays Herbert Pocket. Yes. He is the gentleman who's going to uh, school Pip in the ways of being a gentleman. Mm. And I do want to play this great scene here where they're uh, where he first meets him and they're at the table. And in the meantime, he says, "You know, well, while you're uh, telling me about Havisham, because he's revealing what he knows about Miss Havisham. Yeah. He's like, while you're telling me that, as we're eating, can you just let me know anytime I may I may mess up at the table? And he's yeah. like, oh, of course. And I just want to play this a little bit. <laughs> so they're eating at the table. He's telling him the story and also uh, criticizing his table manners at yeah. the same time. As I've been brought up a blacksmith, I take it as a great kindness if you'd give me a hint when I go wrong in my manners. With pleasure, though. I should guess you'd need very few hints. <laughs> Thank you very much. Now... Please tell me more of Miss Havisham. Ah, yes, Miss Havisham. But let me introduce the topic by pointing out that in London it's not the custom to put the knife in the mouth for fear of accidents. It's scarcely worth mentioning, only it's as well to do as other people do. I must apologise, thank you. Not at all, I'm sure. (laughs) Now, Miss Havisham was an heiress, and as you may well suppose, was looked upon as a great match. Well, one day there appeared upon the scene a certain man. Uh, I never saw him, for this was 25 years ago. He pursued her closely and professed to be devoted to her. And there's no doubt that she fell passionately in love with him, which brings me to the cruel part of the story. Merely breaking off to remark, my dear Pip, that it's not usually considered necessary to fill the mouth to its utmost capacity. I was so interested. (laughs) Not at all, I'm sure. (laughs) The marriage day was arranged. The wedding dresses were bought. The wedding guests were invited. The day came, but not the bridegroom. He wrote a letter. Which she received when she was dressing for her marriage at 20 minutes to nine. Exactly. So that was why she stopped the clocks. Yes. 
And when she'd recovered from a bad illness, she laid the whole place waste as you've seen it, and has never since looked upon the light of day. I just, I love how casually, I mean, that is, that is, that is this, the, that is Al Guinness. Yep. That is the very epitome of Al Guinness. He is a master, masterful actor. Absolutely. Yeah. I just love how casually he's just inserting Casual little, and friendly. Yeah. And ca- polite. Casually inserting little like, oh, and do, uh, and don't do that. Anyway, so as I was saying, like, yeah. Oh, I'm very sorry. Not at all. <laughs> over over politeness. Got yeah, loud. I love him. Uh, what I wanted to say too about that character is when we find out that he was actually uh, somebody playing him as a boy earlier in the movie when uh, Pip went to uh, was challenged by that young boy to a boxing fight, yes. <laughs> uh, which I thought was really funny because it's like there's another boy there in Miss Havisham's uh, mansion, I guess, and I yeah. guess he's also kind of like he wants to be with Estella too at mm. that point. And I think the fact that he, I think the fact that he fights Pip is just he's just so worked up that someone else is there to break yeah. up the monotony, and he's like immediately like, oh, let's have a boxing fight, and he's you know he's this gentleman and everything, and Pip just quite easily knocks him on his ass. Despite this guy being so into it, he goes full bar star and takes his shirt off because he's gonna like do this right, and Pip hits him twice, very good. I think that's like that's like uh, his street smarts are overcoming this this guy's you know mental like uh, school learning of the mm-hmm. art of boxing, and the funny thing is they. They call to it again later on when they when they're both adults and he he's like Herbert uh, gets in his stance or whatever again and uh, and Pip just easily ducks him and says oh sorry old friend and it punches him, him. Up. yeah <laughs> it's great it's a great little uh, throw line knocks him out real good one thing I noticed about this movie was how it was shot it's a beautiful movie no question black and white some I mean like every movie we've seen of old England it has good shots of like the the town and all the roofs. Of the houses, but it's one of those things that I'm. I, I feel like this movie is a little bit combined almost by the four three aspect ratio. Like, because I mean, and maybe it's hindsight because hindsight is twenty twenty. But like, we look back at the you know Zhivago and and uh, yes, it is. And we look back at Zhivago and and Birds on the River Kwai and Lawrence Arabia, and these movies are shot in scope and they're very wide, and you get to see so much. And I feel like there was a lot that could have been shown if it would have been widescreen. But obviously, widescreen had not been invented at that point, at least to a point where it was being used. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would go so far as to say I don't think it was even invented, but I. You know what? I don't know. Um, I don't I, know because I know the, the uh, first widescreen movie was like early fifties. I, I was going to say Ben Hur wasn't even till the late fifties. Yeah. So yeah, but I just feel like it's a little confining with the four three aspect ratio because I would like to have seen more of uh, the sets. Yeah. In, in London, I but, mean, you do get a great glimpse of that at the beginning. Yes, um, with that we talked about that wide shot of uh, of the you know the surroundings and the fog and everything. Mm. Um, and then you get a little bit more of that later on with the whole boat, the yes. whole boating scene. And everything. But but also like hey. Uh, clearly, he did a great job and boded well for his later work. Mm-hmm. I would also argue, as my, I, I, I really like this movie uh, from start to finish, but I will also argue that uh, the first half is my favorite part. Mm. Um, the romance stuff in the second half isn't quite as strong. Mm. I still really like it. Uh, and I like the whole thing where, you know, he's still pursuing Estella, goddammit, because he's going to get that lady. Even though she's uh, she's being pursued by this awful man, I think I'm with you. And nothing against John Mills; he's great in this movie. But like, I was just more interested in watching the young Pip stuff. Like, that yeah. was that was more interesting to me than the older stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe because it reminds me of South Park. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, we, in the second half, we have like the romance continuing. You know, he's still pursuing Estella. Uh, she's that that terrible guy that's after her. Like, what's his name? Like. Bartlemy or Bumley or Brumley or yeah, he's got a real he's got a real thuggish name. Yeah, kind of looks like a thug too. Um, I also want to play a moment here where um, it's a pretty it's a pretty big moment in the film, but Joe Joe 
Pip goes to visit um, Miss Havisham. Havisham later Good. on. Good, I film. was just thinking of that, that we hadn't talked about that yet. Yeah, uh, late, this is much later. Um, and she finally realizes what she's done to this poor guy. Yeah. And this is the, and we'll talk about what happens after this scene, because yeah. I'm not going to include just audio of that. That's no point. <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll let's just listen to this. What have I done? What have I done? If you mean what have you done to me, Miss Havisham, let me answer. Estella has been part of my existence ever since I first came here, the rough, common boy whose heart she wounded even then. She has been the embodiment of every graceful fancy that my mind has ever known. To the last hour of my life, she cannot choose but remain part of my character, part of the little good in me, part of the evil. But you may dismiss me from your mind and conscience. But Estella is a different case. And if you can ever undo any scrap of what you've done amiss in keeping part of her right nature away from her, it will be better to do that than to bemoan the past through a hundred years. And then after that, Miss Havisham burns to death. Yeah, she like goes to the fire and like accidentally gets a burning piece of wood on her dress and she goes up and she starts screaming. And it's funny because he's walking away and he starts to hear her screaming and he's kind of like, ah, fucking bitch. And he just kind of turns around and is about to leave. But then she starts really screaming. And then he, so then he turns around and, and runs back. And it's too late. And it's too late. He, he eventually pulls down one of the draperies and throws it on top of her. But she burns to death. Yeah. And then it's never mentioned again that they just found this burned body in the house. Yeah. I and mean. That, and that he, who had just had this, this words with her, was not a suspect in her murder, perhaps. I mean, clearly she fucked up. But he was a man, and he was a gentleman, so chances were the law was just like, well, clearly she burned herself to death. You know, Jason, it's... Women, you know, it's can't help but burning themselves to death all the time. It happens more than you would think. You you should have seen when, when they were all witches, oh, just yeah. tying themselves to stakes, just, just burning just themselves. Just going up in flames out of nowhere, you might say. Uh, like an RKO. Yeah. Um, I should say that... Uh, I will say, though, though, Jason, it is a great thing that, I mean, in today's day and age... We no longer put the rich people on a pedestal anymore. We no. treat everyone equally in the eyes of the law. We live in the workers' paradise, Brendan. Yeah, um, it's good to see that the president is going to jail. Uh, justice will be served. Absolutely. Yeah, it's God. It's good to be alive. Make America great again, once more under the breach. And then, so this is cra- what I love is the way this story all ties together because we have um estella looking look, looking at her looking down at pip for most of the movie i mean she slowly cracks as the movie goes on because she slowly starts to see her mother you know kind of isn't the best role model mm-hmm. or i guess not her real mother but you know what i mean Miss yeah, Havisham. The, the, the woman that has served as her mother and has been manipulating her yeah um and then she when she's pursuing this man eventually we find out that this man found out her real father was magwitch this mm. criminal and he broke off with her. Uh, so at the end of the film, dickhead. yeah. So at the end of the film, she's basically become Miss Havisham. She's sitting in this castle, saying, "I have nothing to do. I have nothing left to live for." Like she, she's basically on the way to becoming what Havisham. Yeah, she, was. she's on, she's resigned herself to the fact that that's the life she has to live. And she's, oh, maybe it'll be nice being closer away from the world in here. Yeah. yeah. And then in the ultimate moment, Pip just tears down the shutters and opens the blinds says no your mother is dead Havisham is gone you could be your own lady and they embrace and it's lovely and it brings us to our conclusion in the film and they walk off into the literal sunset look Estella look nothing but dust and decay I 
I've never ceased to love you, even when there seemed no hope for my love. You're part of my existence, part of myself. Estella, come with me, out into the sunlight. Look at me. Pip, I'm afraid. Look at me. We belong to each other. Let's start again. Together. And I love how when they leave, they're literally closing the gate on yeah. the house. So they're like literally closing off that part of her life. Like this is this is over. We're gonna go be happy now. That's right. Like normal people. That's right. But what I noticed in that scene, Jason, while we were watching it, is he mm. says, "Look at me," mm-hmm. twice to her. That is the same thing Miss Havisham said to him when she first met him. That is true. Yeah. So that there's a true. little. He's asserting his new dominance in the relationship <laughs> and a... taking up the position that Miss Havisham had previously filled. For Estella. So it's going to be an even more abusive relationship. I don't think so. Pip is a good lad. They're going to hate each other in a year. Pip is a nice 38-year-old, 21-year-old lad. He's got Uh, the whole world in front of him. It's it's yeah it's the the, it's the ending. Let, let's let's. I've got a few other miscellaneous things here Hit that I me. want to mention. But uh, do you have anything else you want to mention as well before we get to uh, talking about this this movie as a as a review uh, of sorts? Nothing specific. Um, I just really like the performances in it. And uh, oh, the performances are wonderful across the board. Despite the emotional fucked upness of uh, this thing, it's uh, it's quite yeah. a watch. Oh, we didn't even mention the dance scene. The dance scene is incredible too. Yeah, it's really uh, cool. Where really he, well shot. Yeah, where he and uh, Estella are basically. He's basically dancing, trying to impress her, and yeah. you know, talking about her. Uh, and the other guy, the other guy's just leering at them, like just watching, like Ooh, I'm gonna it's, get that. It's some classic gentlemanly dick waving. Yeah, it's how they did it in those very days. very choreographed dancing. That's too. right. Um, you really had to be on the ball to be one of those uh, to be at one of those parties. But it makes sense. It's not like the choreographed dancing you see in, like, let's say, she's all that. Yeah, not quite. No. <laughs> Even though, even though you did have Usher in the stands, be like, okay, now do the dance moves I taught y'all. Mm. Do, 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 do. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was I gonna say? Because I got off on a, on a little bit of a tangent there. No. Um, what was gonna, right. I've got a few little uh, random thoughts here. Sure. I, I did get a kind of a Jack and the Beanstalk vibe at the beginning of the of the movie with the convict saying that he was gonna eat Pip's heart and liver. Yeah. I just thought of very. Uh, it sounded very. Um, Fairy tale. Very, I'll grind your bones to eat my bread. Yeah. Um, I also do like one of the lines at the beginning of the film I wrote down I really liked is when Pip's sister uh, basically says, ask no questions and you'll be told no lies. Basically, like, you know these questions that you're asking about convicts and the and criminals and stuff. I'm just going to sugarcoat the answers for you. So if you don't want, if you don't want fake answers, don't bother asking me. Further, further evidence that she's a dictator and that she doesn't like being questioned. But I do like that she like straight up says that. Yeah. Like you know, I'm not going to tell you the truth. So stop asking me. Uh, I do. I do oh. really like. Uh, I do really like Joe's reaction to the. Uh, the criminal uh, apologizing for eating their pie as he's being dragged off by the yeah, police. Yeah, I, I like that too. Well, we wouldn't have you starve. Yeah. Like it's very, well, there's it, not a single reaction from Joe that's negative. Well, well, Joe is I think feeling that 
the 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 stereotype of like a good Christian, like he's being yeah. the good Christian, and that it's like, well, no, just just because you're a criminal and and you stole food from us, we wouldn't have you starve. I mean, come on, man. Do you think this uh, this movie is uh, a little bit pro Christian too, in the sense that when you see Havisham's place, there's a very prominent cut to a Bible with cobwebs yeah. all over it. <laughs> well, she's clearly abandoned the Lord, Brendan, because yeah. uh, you can't be a person that, that's that unhappy if you've got Jesus in your heart. I mean, this is 1946, so exactly. I'm not, I don't want to say I'm shocked, <laughs> but it does seem like a little... I don't think this movie has any explicitly pro-Christian messages. I think it's just cultural uh, cultural propagation of, of norms. I mean, there's of, a, there's been a, there's been a little bit of it in other David, I think yeah, there's a little bit of it in uh, bridge on the river. I, I think there's I a mean, little bit of it in, in a lot of these movies because it's a very important cultural part of British heritage, the yeah. Anglican church and all that, you know, obviously the vicar, the, the local vicar, the vicar of Dibley, you know, the vicar man. That's right. That was the only <laughs> movie where there wasn't religion. Yeah. Weirdly. Yeah. Weirdly. yeah. He was just into fucking. That was like the most religious movie we did. <laughs> Um, and uh, the other thing I wanted to say uh, is there was a kind of a very optimistic message in this movie. As much of it is like, you know, kind of a, a young man being beat down by life. I do like that the optimism in that his kind act at the beginning of the movie, yeah. like, pays off for him. It does, yeah. Like, like giving that criminal, that magwitch. I mean, he does it kind of under threat of death. Mm. But he still does it. And he even, like, as he's doing it, he asks him, like, oh, is that good? Are you okay now? Do you yeah. mind if I go back? Like, he's... Yeah, I, I think Magwitch was really like touched by his just his genuine was just touched by his was just touched by his genuine uh, concern. Yeah, you know, for him, despite the fact that he was this criminal and you know and he threatened his life, like he still remained polite and 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 lovely to him. Yeah, he warms up to him very quickly. Yeah, and I really didn't see that twist coming. Surprisingly, no. I didn't read the book. And, I mean, and, and I didn't put it together. I was th- I kept thinking like, was it Avisham? Was it like a character we haven't seen yet? Like, like spoiler alert, guys, neither of us read the book. Yeah, so we, exactly. So, so I yes, we were surprised by Twisted and, and, and if, Charles if, Dickens if, movie. If that twist was in the South Park episode, I, I don't remember. <laughs> well, we'll get to that in a moment here, Jason, because uh, first of all, I want to tell you the budget for this thing was 375,000 pounds. And I don't have the box office numbers, but I do have the U.S. rentals. Yes. $2 million. So it did okay. Yeah, I think it did quite good. Um, and you have mentioned South Park a few times, so I mm. feel like we really owe it to the uh, to the people to mention that there was an episode of South Park. And I believe the title of that episode was... That episode was called Pip. Ah, okay. So there's an episode of South Park called Pip. Actually, Season 4, episode 14. Thank you. Um, it's actually heralded by a lot of fans of the show as one of the worst episodes, but that being said... I like that episode. I, I like it too, but uh, I think because it's just so abandoned from the usual format. Yeah. Uh, but basically it focuses on a character, Pip, who is obviously playing Pip from Great Expectations. He's got the hat and the bow tie. Yep. And they uh, they parody the uh, one of my favorite parts of this movie that i did pull a clip from is they parody the uh the table manner scene that we listened mm. to earlier with uh herbert pocket yeah and i just want to play a little bit of their version of Please that do. scene right time for a smashing meal in the story of miss havisham pocket may i ask you a favor i am desperately trying to become a gentleman for the love of a certain girl so would you please tell me if I do something wrong at the table? You'll do fine, dear fellow, just fine. Now on to Miss Havisham. She was raised by a wealthy father and grew up to be a somewhat of a spoiled brat. And now I might mention, Pip, that in London is not the custom to put the knife in the mouth. Oh dear, I'm terribly sorry. Not at all, I'm sure. Anyway, Miss Havisham grew up to be a lovely young lady and soon a man came along, which gets me to the cruel part of the story, merely breaking off my dear Pip to remark that a dinner napkin should never be placed into the tumbler. Sorry, sorry. Not at all, I'm sure. So this man pursued Miss Havisham closely and professed to be devoted to her. She passionately loved him back. The marriage day was fixed, the wedding dresses bought, the wedding guests all invited, and finally the day came. 
but not the groom. And I break from the tale now only to mention that one should never pass gas at the dinner table. Oh, excuse me. Not at all, I'm sure. So the groom never showed. He simply wrote a letter, a letter that Miss Havisham received 20 minutes before the wedding. At half nine, the time when she stopped all the clocks in the house. But afterwards, she laid waste to the entire house, as you have seen it, and has never since looked upon the light of day. And the story ends, Pip, with me suggesting that one should never pull out that wee-wee and check it for scabs whilst at the table. Terribly sorry, Pocket. Not at all, I'm sure. And so Pip spent the next several months learning how to be a gentleman. He was schooled in several languages. He was taught fencing and marksmanship, and he was shown how to dance and how to eat box. <laughs> and there's just a little bit of Malcolm McDowell at the end as the narrator. <laughs> how to uh, eat box. Credited as a British person. Yes. <laughs> um, of course, that, uh, that, that, that episode of South Park strays from the novel a little bit, especially the part where Miss Havisham is a robot. Yes, absolutely. But you got to give them credit. They clearly like that movie a lot because that really hewed closely to that original scene. There was like exact yeah. dialogue straight out of there. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's kind of like a loving yeah, tribute. In it's clear a way. they really like that story. Yeah, although I think in an interview they said, "quote the ending sucked." <laughs> they don't they don't like the end of the book, but they, I think they really liked it. Otherwise, why would they do it? Exactly. Uh, so, Jason, this thing does go to the Oscars. Unfortunately, the Baftas are not really a. I believe the first Baftas were in 1949, so it misses so it by the, a little bit. So this bit. is like the Imperial British. Uh, Filmic and candle-based power awards for images that may move or not move. Uh, yes. Yeah, I love those. So at the Oscars, it wins for Best Art Direction dash Set Direction Black and White. Mm-hmm. And it wins for Best Black and White Cinematography, which deservedly so, both Absolutely. awards. It's not up for any acting awards. Huh. Uh, but it is nominated for Best Screenplay, which is won that year by Miracle on 34th Street. See, I'd have, I'd have sent Gene Simmons a Best Supporting Actress role. Yeah, no, nothing. Uh, Best Director it's nominated for. The other uh, nominees, I'm sure you'll know. Uh, Henry Coster for A Bishop's Wife. Oh. Uh, Edward Dimitrik for Crossfire. Oh. Uh, George Cooker for A Double Life. Mm. And the winner that year was Elia Kazan for Gentleman's Agreement. Ah. Best Picture. It was nominated for Best Picture. And again, Bishop's Wife, Crossfire, Miracle on 34th Street were the other nominees. And the winner again was Gentleman's Agreement. Hmm. So, yeah, uh, some, they won two awards. I've the never seen any of those other movies. Even I've, Miracle on 34th Street. Really? Yeah. I. Guys, I've seen the '90s one with Matilda. Yes, Mara Wilson. Yes, and I've uh, I've I've def I've definitely heard of Gentleman's Agreement, but I don't know anything about it. Wait, is that Richard Attenborough in that movie? The old one? No, the new one. Oh yeah, that wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I believe it is Richard <laughs> yes. Attenborough. Teenage Richard Attenborough in the original Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah, he's the same age as when he met uh, pre I'm All Right Jack. <laughs> he was the right age for that, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the the movie got tons of critical praise when it's re- when it was released. Many commentators hailed it as the finest film made from a Dickens novel. Mm. Um, uh, Dickens before the one of the quotes was Dickens has never before been rendered effectively into cinema terms. So a lot of people thought this was the first effective Dickens yeah. uh, adaptation because Scrooge was after this. Yes. Scrooge was like 1951. Yes, there had been though the Christmas Carol adaptation I think from the 30s. Yeah, yeah. which I don't know if it was successful at the time. Mm. I mean, looking back, it may still be pretty good. Yeah, I don't remember it, but. I don't even know if I've seen well, it. We'll watch it next year. Sure. Now we've got a musical seventies one to watch That's next right. year. That's right. Um, however, there is a, always a contrarian, Jason. Mm. Gavin Lambert, writing for the short-lived but influential Sequential Magazine. What do you got to say, Sequence, Gavin? Sequence Magazine. I was going to say Sequential Magazine. <laughs> this Felt- is about magazine. This is about stuff in order. 
Like he, movies. So he's like, he is not a fan of Pulp Fiction. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, he felt that it is not so much an attempt to recreate Dickens on the screen as a very graceful evasion of most of the issues. This was his quote on the movie. Hmm. Uh, in America, though, James Agee praised the movie almost never less than graceful, tasteful, and intelligent. And in 1999, Roger Ebert noted the film as the greatest of all the Dickens films and added that the movie was made by Lean at the top of his early form. I'd say. So that all being said, Jason, where do you where where do you fall in this movie? What do I you like, think? I really like this movie. This movie is incredibly watchable. It is uh, from start to finish. There's lots to watch, lots to enjoy. The characters are great. The the acting is great. Uh, I hate most of the people in this movie because they're all terrible. But I think the people that are good, I yeah. like a lot. So. As I was gonna say, I think you're supposed to hate most of them. Yeah, I do. <laughs> but it, but it's a fascinating thing to watch because of it. Like yeah. it's it's I don't know that I mean how many movies back then were full of people you don't like. True. More besides, like the villain, you know, the villain, the villain. Like you're not that's a to like re- the that's villain. a real movie. Oh, oh I thought you meant the movie, the villain. No, no, no. That's the movie <laughs> with uh, Kirk Douglas and Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> it's not good. It's <laughs> not. Good. <laughs> I don't know. What's <laughs> it's the two of them acting together. So, anywho. Uh, so it's number five, Jason. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I think that's, I, I can understand why they'd put it up there. It is a brilliant movie. It, it looks great. Like I said, everything I said is still applies. Mm-hmm. It's very high. Yeah. So I, I understand why it's there now. The current, like the BFI order, I think is, is is right in the sense that I think Lawrence should be above it. But Okay. Yeah. But do you think like this should be above like last week's movie? Yeah. Okay, I'd say I'd say too. I mean, I I enjoyed last week's movie a great deal. Yes, but I think this is definitely a more number one more important. Yes, number two, it's David fucking Lean. Yeah, and I'm yeah. I mean, I think overall, it's I mean, I think it's a better movie, and I think it just also holds a lot more historical significance. And I think there's a little more joy in it, a little more humor than yeah. a lot of the other movies we've watched. And it, I yeah, appreciate it's, that. it's especially it's, even compared to Scrooge. Like, I don't know if in in a Christmas Carol there's much humor in the book, but certainly in Scrooge there's not really any humor. No, it's very dark. Yeah, uh, this is kind of like just exquisite filmed acted written yeah it's a total package folks it's the lex luger of early cinema as soon as you said total package i was waiting for it (laughs) or it's a narcissist the the narcissist package this movie loves itself in a mirror all right well now that those wrestling references are out of the way that no one understands that's right jason it's time to do something special on this show are we are you going to body slam me on the deck of the uss independence I believe it was the USS Intrepid. Oh, you're right. You you might be right. I don't remember. I don't know. It was on Independence Day. I know that much. 1993 was a long time ago. It was. It was. And thankfully, Lex Luger triumphantly won that match via countout. And now Yokozuna is dead, and Lex Luger is crippled for life. <gasps> Murica. <laughs> Jason is going to roll the dice, and when he gets a number on the dice, that is the number on the BFI Top 100 that we are going to talk about next week. We got our green D10, which is a 10s die, and I'm holding it up to the mic so you can see. So you can see it on camera. And uh, we got our red 1s die. Yeah. So it's a 1s D10 and a 10s D10. So let's get that 10s D10 first, Jason. Let's see what... All right. Decade? Decade of the list? Dessa, Dessa part? Roll it. Forty. Forties. Okay, let's just take a look. Oh, there's quite a bit we haven't done here. All right, we got wide open virgin territory. Maybe not wide open, but and virgin territory. what do we got here? Forty. Forty-nine. Okay, this is going to be interesting. We talked about Elizabeth. Yeah. Now it's talk, time to talk about Shakespeare and love. Ooh. 1993. 
1998, John Madden, the sports commentator, directed a film called Shakespeare in Love. And we're... It's Shakespeare, but it's funny. <laughs> that's interesting. I, I am I am excited to compare that to Elizabeth because and that's we... yes, absolutely, yeah. and that's one of those movies. I, one of these movies I've always heard about for many years, and people complain about it because it beat Saving Private Ryan for the Oscar that year. But uh, we're I'm excited inve- to watch it. We're going to investigate it. I hope it's no English patient, but uh, we'll see what it's like. Shakespeare in Love. I know English patient. Mm-hmm. I saw English patient, and you, my friend, are no English patient. Thank you. Shakespeare in Love, the Dan Quayle of the BFI Top mm-hmm. 100. Uh, yeah, no, this will be really interesting. I've never seen it either, so I'm curious. I'm curious to see it. We got a much newer movie that we're watching this time. Yes. Uh, 1998, yeah. We'll see if this was an of-the-time addition to the list or if it actually deserves to be there. Yeah, and I believe, actually, now that I'm saying this, it is the most recent movie on this list. I would say you're right. Yeah. So next week, Jason, we will talk about Shakespeare in Love. Ooh. Uh, bringing back Joseph Fiennes. Uh, yeah, Joseph what Fiennes. Was he, in? he was also in Elizabeth. Oh, was he? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and Jeffrey Rush, too. Right. I couldn't remember which Fiennes it was. Right? Jeffrey Rush is in both. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's crazy. That's what I mean. There's going to be so many like similarities. Uh, but before that, we should say that you can find us on Facebook. Just search for For Screen and Country. You can also find J- you can also find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can also find Jason on Twitter. Follow me personally at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. And the views of Jason McLeod do not necessarily reflect those of For Screen and Country. But they reflect you, Brendan. Uh okay. Even even the controversial ones. Oh god, what are you getting me into here? Uh let's just say Jason's views on Brexit do not reflect mine. Let's just say I am the, much uh, more harsh. The Bader-Meinhof terrorist group never existed. I heard that yesterday. I don't know what any of that means. I know I know those are words that you said, but I don't know that they come together for me it's in all, a sense. It's all a big conspiracy to prop up the... Just give me a sec. Deep state. You said the C word and that scares me. So <laughs> uh, we'll just end it there and say, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screaming Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. I expect great things out of you. You might say I have great expectations. Oh, shit! You sit and you see And then you stand and clutch your breast Our music drives you wild Along with the rest You watch me singing the song can do and you wish you were the one I was doing it too well listen I'm Ashley. And I'm Justine. And, and we, we make, make up the Cutaways, Cutaways Podcast. We're watching the good, the bad, and the essentials of the romantic comedy genre. 
So far, we've fallen in love with Cary Grant, met up with our terrible friend, pal Joey, and had the desire to run our fingers through Patrick Dempsey's hair. Join our slumber party for your ears every other week, brought to you in stereo from our blanket fort in Hollywood, California. You can find and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Our digital blanket fort can be found at thecutaways.com. If you are the social butterfly types, you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Cutaways Podcast. Bye!